Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Now here's Pastor Barry. Good morning, North Sound Church. Great to see you all again. Thank you for joining us. Today we continue our sermon series called Crossroads. It's a series about those who at the cross found a crossroads in their own lives that moved them in an amazing direction. If you ever watched a movie that didn't develop quite the way you expected it to, it went on and you invested time and then you got a surprise ending that you weren't expecting. Sometimes that happens, you go to a party or a gathering and it turns out different as well. But today I, I wanna mention to you uh, the old stories of uh, O. Henry. Some of you may be old enough to remember them who would write these stories with the most uh, interesting endings, completely unexpected. Um, I've shown here at North Sound the gift of the Magi, which was a story about a young couple, newlyweds, who loved each other very much and on Christmas Eve wanted to get each other very special presents, but they had no money. And so as they thought about what they could do, the husband went and sold his watch, his very valuable watch, to buy uh, combs, a pretty kind of combs that would, would be in his wife's beautiful long hair. But his wife, unbeknownst to him, had gone and gotten her hair cut off so that she could sell it to buy him a fob for his watch. And unfortunately, they didn't discover this until Christmas Eve when they were exchanging presents. That's a gift of, uh, a gift of, of love and an ending that wasn't quite the way it was expected. Well, this morning, the surprise we're considering is the women who gathered around the cross. What was the deal with that? At first blush, we wouldn't have expected women to be in that setting. The, the execution, the crucifixion in the first century was a very difficult, ugly, gory, bloody, tragic kind of an event. And here were these women that are described in our story. So the sermon that I wanna share this morning is for two groups of people. One group is the women, in our congregation and the other group are the men in our congregation. <clears throat> God's creative work took place over time described as a six day period. And at the culmination of creation, we read these words in verse 26 of chapter one of Genesis. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now notice the verse says God created human beings in his own image and importantly for our purposes, God says that his image was created in male as well as female. Both were created by God, both have the image of God. There's no suggestion that one has a more exalted place than the other. Now then we move to Genesis chapter two and we find uh, a little more elaboration about the relationship between God and Adam and Eve. <clears throat> Genesis two says, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. 
And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now we see in this passage, the mutuality that is a part of the creation of woman. She was from the side of the man. She complimented him and in complimenting one another, they literally could be one flesh. Matthew Henry wrote a commentary that's still in use today. He wrote it in 1706. And he wrote the most amazing words, which are even more amazing when you think about the culture of 1706. But this is what he said in an insight on this verse. He said, woman was taken out of man, not out of his head to top him, nor out of his feet to be trampled underfoot, but out of his side to be equal to him, under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be loved. I think if we were to summarize what we learned from this passage is with man and woman that they were created equal and they were created complementary to one another. There are physical differences, but the differences are not inferior or superior, they're just different. Now the fall, which happens in the next chapter, messes things up really badly. The fall is the story of Adam and Eve, but of course it's our story as well, and as a result of sin, their relationship suffered. As a result of sin, there was conflict in the world and men begin to die in battle. And I'm, I'm not an anthropologist, but I suspect that one of the reasons why women tended to be devalued in the ancient culture was that there was more of them than the men who, who were killed in battle. Now, by the time we get to the New Testament, women had a subservient and often difficult place in society. They were considered property, first of the father, then of the husband. Only men could divorce women. Women could not divorce their husbands. The liberal school of interpretation of Hillel said a woman could be um, essentially divorced for messing up the dinner. Jewish males recited a prayer that included this phrase, thank God for not making me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. And interestingly, friends, the sixth commandment in Exodus 20, 17 says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. <clears throat> Notice it doesn't say don't covet your neighbor's husband. Adultery was a violation of property rights. The Talmud, in looking at the role of women, says it is to grind corn, suckle children, be a beautiful wife, and bear children. Circumcision was a male right. Women couldn't study the law. A woman's monthly cycle and childbirth often left her unclean for religious functions, so she was left out. Now, when we understand this background, we're in a much better position to look at how Jesus interacted in his life, in his ministry. So what were women doing there at the cross? Well, if this was a plot of a movie, it doesn't start out well for the men. Think about this. When you think about those who gathered at the foot of the cross, the disciples had left. Peter denied his Lord. He was nowhere to be found. Judas had betrayed the Lord. He was nowhere to be found. And all the other disciples apparently were gone as well because we have no record of them being at the cross except for 
the disciple John, the beloved disciple. Still, why were the women there? Well, let's have a look at those who gathered around the cross. I believe that the answer has to do with the powerful and profound way in which women were transformed by Jesus. There was something about the way he treated them that was so dramatically different than all they had known in their lives. He touched the lives in deeply meaningful ways. And ladies, if you have ever been wounded by a man, by a a father, a husband, a a brother, an uncle, a boyfriend, a son, a boss, Jesus has some important words for you. And guys, we have such an important insight here on how God wants us to behave as men. So now let's look at the faces we see of women, women gathered around the cross. So the first we see is the face of what is described in the scripture as the women in Luke chapter 23, verse 49. Luke simply describes this group as the women who followed him from Galilee, all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee. Now I want you to look with me out at the faces looking up at Jesus on the cross. Well, the Bible doesn't name all of them. We, We have some idea, some idea of who might be there. Think about this with me this morning. Can you see the face of the female disciples? Did you know there were female disciples? In Luke 8, verses 1 to 3, we read, Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Johanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. It's interesting, the women appeared to support financially the work of the male disciples. Who else could it be? Could it include the woman caught in adultery? Could it include the foreign woman, the Syrophoenician woman, from whom Jesus cast out a demon from her daughter and restored her to wholeness? Could it have been the woman from the well in Samaria that Jesus talked to about the living water? Could it be the woman with the bleeding problem who had the faith to reach out and touch Jesus? Or perhaps it could be those who connected with the stories Jesus told, the parables, in which often Jesus used a a picture, a metaphor that would have been very familiar to the women of that time. Another face that we see at the foot of the cross is the face of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Life for Mary was not without its challenges. The pregnancy seemed to go fine, but then there was that arduous journey all the way to Bethlehem. And then Just because we say yes to God and experience his love doesn't mean we don't go through challenging times. The birth of her son must not have been quite as she imagined when the angel appeared to her. There were difficult days ahead as we know that story. But then there were issues in relationship with her son when Jesus was 12. Remember the story of the family came to the temple for a, the feast of the Passover. And when they took off for home, he managed to stay behind and he engaged in, in very intelligent discussion with the scribes and the Pharisees in the temple. And he asked them questions and they were surprised at this young lad's knowledge. But his parents were not impressed. 
They were upset and hurt. His mother said, young man, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been half out of our minds looking for you. Jesus said, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I had to be here dealing with the things of my father? But they had no idea what he was talking about. Sometimes relationships are hard to understand, aren't they? At least 18 years later, Jesus was teaching when his mother and brother showed up. We read this in Luke chapter eight. He was given the message, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are the ones who hear and do God's word. Obedience is thicker than blood. Friends, sometimes we say and do things in the context of relationships that are difficult to understand. We, we don't grow in intimacy very far before we discover that the capacity that we have to hurt those that we love dearly. As a sinless person, Jesus would in no way have wanted to offend his mother, but it must have hurt to find that Jesus would rather talk with the teachers in the temple than engage in the walk home with the family. It must have hurt to hear that those who listened to God's word were considered on par with his mother and his brothers. Mary discovered that although she was loved by God, she still had to walk through the challenges of life. One of the best pictures we have of how God only loves the world but you and me at the cross this morning is the picture that we have right before Jesus died of the tenderness, the love that he had for his mother. Jesus was carrying on his shoulders the weight of sin for the world. In addition to the incredible pain of the death on the cross, he was carrying the weight of the world but even in the midst of that, he looked out and he saw his mother and he saw the disciple John and he said, well, let me read it to you. While the soldiers were looking after themselves, Jesus' mother, his aunt Mary, the wife of Cleopas and Mary Magdalene stood at the foot of the cross. Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing near her. He said to his mother, woman, here is your son. And then to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that moment, the disciple accepted her as his own mother. What a, a caring, kind thing to do. So this morning, we've learned something about God's love through the experience of Mary, the, the, the love that Jesus had for her. Their mutual love is, is not only a historical fact, but it's also a parable of the kind of love that God has for us. The third set of women that we see at the cross are the face of Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and quite, quite uh, uh, interesting that we have no idea who they are. We really don't know much about her, but she knew Jesus and went to the cross. And then there's the face of Salome. Interestingly, she may have been called different names in the description of who she was at the cross. Mary, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, the sister of Mary, Jesus' mother, is one possibility. And Mary, the wife of Cleopas, is another possibility. And then also Mary, the sons of, uh, uh, excuse me, we've already mentioned the sons of Zebedee. And so we're not quite sure, but whoever she was, she received a rebuke from Jesus in Matthew 20, 20, when she asked for her boys, James and John, to sit at Jesus' right hand and left hand in his kingdom. She must have great character after that rebuke to still come to the cross. 
And then there's the face of Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was a woman of great need when she met Jesus. She had seven demons cast out of her, suggesting both spiritual and, and physical need. Her life had been dramatically changed and her response had seen her relationship with the Lord grow increasingly strong. She itinerated with him in Galilee. She made a financial contribution to his mission. She was present at the crucifixion here, and then she returned to the tomb, consumed with grief over the loss of the one that had brought meaning and purpose to her life. Friends, if we've lived long at all, well, we're no strangers to grief. Grief is a natural response to loss. It may be losing a home uh, financially, a financial loss. It may be losing a pet. It may be losing a necklace that was treasured or someone we've loved or uh, losing someone through death or divorce. If we pull together the threads of Jesus' relationship with women, we would find that his relationship with women were absolutely radical for that day. As a result of the profound impact he had on their lives, the women gathered at the cross out of an intense loyalty, burned into their hearts by the love of the Savior. Jesus approached each one of them with respect and understanding. He had compassion for them in the difficult circumstances of their lives. He offered them mercy and grace and forgiveness. He ministered healing and wholeness that had emotional, spiritual, and physical components to it. Jesus somehow knew how to give them hope to a future that was so much brighter than the past. He didn't condemn, but rather offered forgiveness. He offered living water to the one whose life and relationship had become so parched and painful that he ministered healing. When I think about Jesus' relationship with women, I'm reminded of the words of that great song by Jaron and Becky Davis, called Mercy Saw Me. It goes like this, beautiful, that's how Mercy saw me. For I was broken and so lost, mercy looked at all my faults. Justice of God saw what I had done, but mercy saw me through the sun. Not what I was, but what I could be. That's how mercy saw me. Not what I was, but what I could be. That's how mercy saw me. Reminds me of the wonderful story from the man of La Mancha, perhaps you recall it. Don Quixote and his squire Sancho arrive at a grubby inn where a caravan of muleteers are doing their best to seduce the fiery scullery maid, Aldonza. She repeatedly slaps their hands away. She's been used and abused and her anger is visible on her face. Every word she says, every move she makes, hard and cynical, she responds to their overtures with the song. It's all the same, <clears throat> where she makes very clear she knows what the men want, but that it's only available for a price. All through the song, she strides through the mob of scoundrels seated around the tables in the dirty inn courtyard, singing defiantly that once the price is paid, she doesn't care who it's with because all are the same. Then Don Quixote literally rides into the scene. In his eyes, the gray, grab, dirty inn is a fine castle. The, the uh, disreputable innkeeper is the noble lord and keeper of the forest. And after a rather undignified dismount, 
and a brief word with the innkeeper, Don Quixote, suddenly stops and looks over at awe. Dulcinea, he exclaims. He has caught sight of the bedraggled Aldonza and his heart is lost forever. He, of course, is convinced that she is a noble woman, a pure and lovely treasure, blessed with the fine graces befitting her status. And he insists that her name is Dulcinea and sings her a gentle love song. At first she scoffs and then she softens and then she hardens her heart in a song that includes these words that he responds to her. He says, I see heaven when I see thee, Dulcinea, and thy name is like a prayer. An angel whispers, Dulcinea, Dulcinea. The next day, Don Quixote continues to woo his lady, Dulcinea, uh, that is, uh, Aldonza is bewildered by his tender devotion, but she hardens her heart towards him. That night, Aldonza is on her way to meet up with a paying customer. And when she sees Don Quixote holding prayerful vigil in the courtyard as he prepares to be knighted the next day, she's curious, but she thinks she knows what he's really after. And so she stops to talk to him, expecting any moment he'll proposition her like every other man she has known. The conversation goes like this. I know you, milady," says Don Quixote. I think you know me not, says Aldonza. All my years I have known you, your nobility of spirit. Long have I seen you in my heart. Your heart does not know much about women. It knows all, my lady. Woman is the soul of man, the radiance that lights his way. Woman is glory. What do you want of me? Nothing. Liar. Humbly, he says, I deserve the rebuke. I ask of my lady. She thinks, now we get to it. I ask of my lady that I may be allowed to serve her that I may hold her in my heart, that to her I may dedicate each victory and call upon her in defeat. And if at last I give my life, I give it to the sacred name of Dulcinea, that I may be allowed to serve her and hold her in my heart. Well, she expected the abuse that she had known all of her life. He let out in pure devotion and gentility. Even as she went to prostitute herself, he expressed his undying love towards her. Friends, man or woman, boy or girl, we're all like Aldonza. We see ourselves as failures and see ourselves in the midst of the challenges of our lives. God sees us as we can be like Dulcinea, and the woman who came to a crossroads because of Jesus discovered this amazing truth. That's why their lives were filled with gratitude that brought them to the foot of the cross, with gratitude and loyalty to the one that they knew loved them, not only as they were, but as they could be. It's little wonder that Mary Magdalene and the other woman were at the cross. Mary was deep in grief when she went to the tomb that morning. She discovered that on top of everything else, someone had removed the body of her Lord. 
And in her dismay, she was met by a man at the tomb who simply called her name Mary. And friends, today, Jesus calls your name and my name. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for what we find revealed on the pages of your word. We thank you for the cross and for what it means. And we thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness, the loyalty of the women who gathered at the foot of the cross as a testimony of your radical love. I pray, Lord, today that each one of us in our own special way would experience your radical love in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, it's a privilege for us to be gathered around the table of communion today. If for some reason you haven't yet prepared, we encourage you to take a moment and get some wine or juice and a cracker or some bread to be able to join us. You can just pause the program for a moment and then join us when you have those elements ready. We remember at this time the practice that God passed on to us, the sacrament of communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. The Eucharist is a thanksgiving. And in the talk that we had this morning, we talked about the women at the foot of the cross and the fact that they were there very likely out of gratitude for the way that Jesus loved them, addressed them, and now although they probably fully didn't understand it, died on the cross for their sins. And now with uh, being able to look back in history, we understand even more about what the cross was all about, that Jesus became the means by which our sins are forgiven. And, and in a very real way, um, he is able to recognize the fact that we are Aldonza, we are sinners in need of a savior. And yet he comes on the cross and turns us into each one of us, a Dulcinea. And that's the way that he sees us, not as only as we were, but also as we can be as a result of the saving work of Jesus on the cross. And today we celebrate that with gratitude. We prepare our hearts for communion because we are at the same time saint and sinner by looking in our own hearts and seeing if there might be something that we need to deal with relative to our relationship with God and others. And so I want to encourage you to take the next few moments uh, for a time of personal introspection relative to, to sin, uh, to those failures, to those falling uh, times we fall short of what God intends for us, those times that we are willingly in rebellion and turn our hearts from that through confession and repentance. And then we'll join together in a prayer of confession. So friends, let's humbly confess our sins to Almighty God. Let's join together in the prayer of confession. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We're truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may take delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. 
Amen. And now, Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who of his great mercy hath promised forgiveness of sins to all who with hearty repentance and true faith turn unto him, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and bring you to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Friends, the words that we refer to in the scripture each time we gather for Eucharist, each time we gather for the sacrament of communion are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I invite you now if you would take the communion elements as we remember the Lord's death together. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. The scriptures tell us that after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us drink together. Let's pray once again. Lord, the time of having communion, the time of the Eucharist is a great thanksgiving. And today, Lord, we want to thank you for the cross. Thank you, Lord, for what it means to us. Thank you that it became the means by which our sins are forgiven. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in this Lenten season that you would help us to be aware of those things that fall short of what you would have for us. And through fasting and through spiritual practices in our lives would help us to grow more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Friends, thank you for joining us again today at North Sound Church. We are delighted to have you with us. As vaccinations are moving forward, we are anticipating the potential of another service at least at 25% sometime in the near future. And uh, also we're looking forward to uh, perhaps getting um, our live streaming going again from the, from the church. So uh, we don't have that, those plans laid out yet, but we're looking forward a little bit over the horizon uh, to be able to actually broadcast that live service to you as well. May you have a wonderful day and God bless you. And now may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us this day and forevermore, amen.